one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I've had that throughout my career. I started off my first command relationship was with the warrant officer. He absolutely believed that he was doing things better than me and that I had nothing to offer and it ended poorly for our small organisation. Uh, it didn't end well for Army because, you know, neither of us got what we needed from that mm. particular that particular relationship. But I did learn a lot of lessons which I took into the rest of my career. Welcome to the Warrior You podcast, proudly presented by Hindsight Leadership and Resilience. The Warrior You podcast delves deep into the topics of leadership, resilience, and human optimization. Our mission statement is simple. You're the mission. A massive shout out to our main sponsor, gym equipment specialist, Aussie Strength, a proud Australian veteran-owned business who have kitted out home garage gyms and huge fitness centers all over Australia and globally. This week on the Warrior U podcast, Bram Connolly and Lieutenant Colonel Trent Bernard answer your key questions around leadership. In this episode, they will discuss topics such as leading those who do not want to listen, approaching narcissism in leadership, and the relationship between vulnerability and resilience. Bram and Trent dive deep into understanding what it takes to be a good leader in any working environment. With their years of experience leading in the Army, they bring their perspective and experience to the conversation and provide valuable insights so you too can be a better leader for your team. How do I lead people who don't want to listen? Let's answer that question from Josh McKay. You can't, you can't expect to win everybody straight up. Not everybody's going to trust you. Not everybody's going to understand your purpose. I don't think everyone is going to think you're the greatest leader that they've ever come across or that this is even worthy of their time. Yeah. People, you know, it's discretionary how to follow someone half the time. Yeah. And I mean, to put it into perspective, if if someone's not listening to you and you have a position of authority, then gen, generally that authority will ultimately have them listen to you if they want to keep their job. But otherwise, what we're talking about is is simply the art of leadership, which is influence. So you've got to find a way to influence that person to listen to you. What do you think of that? And 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 oh, I agree. Uh, I agree with that because it is about influence, um, and people will follow you to leadership authority. So you know, a CTO of a company, uh, an officer in the army, a sergeant. But I think that for the most part, those that are unwilling to to listen, there are a range of different solutions to that. And reasons why. They might not be a good fit. There might be reasons why they're not listening to. And also, uh, I would say, you know, sometimes they are going to listen and sometimes they aren't. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had someone who didn't want to listen to you? And bearing in mind that I've been one of your subordinates. But, um, 
good times. I mean, I've definitely had that. I had a young soldier, and it's in my book actually, the Commando Way, thirty nine ninety five at um, Dimmicks. I had a, <laughs> I had a soldier who, who didn't want to listen to me, and and that was purely because of a few reasons. One. I didn't have the courage at that time in my career to stand up and say, hey, you need to listen to me. And secondly, um, that person probably thought they were better than me, you know, at the at the job and therefore just didn't bother to really take into account anything I was saying. They did the bare minimum. And ultimately it it, it was at the detriment of our section. Yeah, I've had I've had that throughout my career. I started off my first command relationship was with a warrant officer. He absolutely believed that he was doing things better than me and that I had nothing to offer and it ended poorly for, for our small organisation. Mm. Um, uh, it didn't end well for Army because, you know, neither of us got what we needed from that mm. particular that particular relationship. But I did learn a lot of lessons which I took into the rest of my career. But, you know, I had, you know, a leadership relationship that, that still was quite challenged and prickly and a little uh, combative and you still have to work through you still have to work through that and find other solutions and also find common ground at some you know you're not going to agree on everything and then other times you go yep that that makes sense mm. you know it is you got to pick your battles you can't fight all the time as a leader you just exhaust yourself yeah Simon Sinek talks about how we spend most of our life at work, so we really should be working on those relationships as, as much as we can and not see work as just somewhere where you go just to make the money to enjoy your leisure time. But actually, if you want a, a rich and for full life, you should be going to work and, and making that part of your, um, you know, those relationships part of your, your life. And, and I think there's something to that because we do spend, you know, like an inordinate amount of time at a, in a work setting. Yeah, to some extent. I, I agree with that to some extent. Uh, in real life, you're not going to get along with everybody. You're not going to, uh, you know, marry every person you, you meet. Uh, it doesn't matter how much uh, you work on that relationship. And um, and I think that's the same in a work uh, in a work environment as well. You just you're not you're not going to you're not going to get along uh, with everybody, and you're not always going to see eye to eye, even with those people that you really do get along well. Mm. Um, with so, you know, I I managed to catch up with uh, the previous RSM um, that I worked with, mm. and uh, only last week, and we didn't always see eye to eye, and I think you you you're doing it wrong if you do, you know. But we really did get along well, mm. uh, but that's not always going to happen. It certainly hasn't happened throughout my throughout my career, but in a in a civilian or a military capacity. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you always got along well with your boss? I mean, I've I've been I was argumentative as a, as a young soldier and as a lance corporal and corporal, less so as a sergeant. Although I had a couple of run-ins with, um, you know, because in special forces, quite often there might be two or three of you of the same rank in a platoon. Um, one as the platoon sergeant, one as the sort of the senior tactical commander. I had a big run-in with Reese Stewart. Um, who's been on this podcast a couple of times, one year. And, um, and I mean, he's, I mean, (laughs) you know, he's a massive guy too. So I I remember my boss at the time going, oh, this is going to end pretty badly for Bram. Um, You know, but then that's the sort of guy I am as well, I guess. I'd I'd back myself, but uh, that would be to, to absolutely, you know, no avail. 
But um, we talked about it. We've talked about it a few times since, you know, and it all comes down to being tired, stressful, emotional regulation and control, um, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, I had the same same thing with a bloke in Afghanistan who was the second in charge of a company I was in with the same rank. Um, and again, it was just down to we're tired, we're emotional, we've been working long hours, um, and it just, it, it actually, sometimes I think people do it to let off steam. So that's an interesting point in itself. Some of these run-ins that people have are just to let off steam. I, I was going to say, sometimes you have those run-ins with people that are at the same rank because you can, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, because there is no falling back on uh, command authority. Mm. People say previously that, uh, you know, uh, people that ordinarily wouldn't argue in in public life or in the workplace will will more than happily go and have an argument at home or with their kids and would never have those same conversations in the workplace because you can. Yeah. And you know you have disagreements and and um, you know you're not as together as as you would be in the workplace because it's you know it, it doesn't fly in the workplace. Yeah. Shouldn't fly at home either, but you no. know, people just disagree. People yeah. just disagree. The yeah. the the global Gartner talent monitor, and you've probably heard of it, um, revealed a four point four percent decline in employee business confidence in quarter four of two thousand nineteen. Um, I think someone you worked with recently highlighted that to us, and interestingly, the Australian reason that people left work the number one reason why people left work or attrition from workplaces was people management the second was work-life balance and the third was respect and internationally the first reason was compensation the second reason was future career opportunity and then the third was people management so we are terrible in Australia at managing the human resource, at managing people and, and, and leadership. And, I mean, that's what, your, that's what my, our company does. We, you know, hindsight, leadership, resilience. We, we actually, we're, we're stepping in to have a circuit breaker to help companies do that. But I was really interested to see that Australian reasons, the number one reason is the third reason internationally, and it's about people management. Are we are we really that bad culturally at leading other fellow Australians? You reckon? That's interesting, and and my initial thought is that maybe we value it higher. So maybe uh, internationally, that's not as mm. much of a factor. So, uh, for instance, we are paid globally. We're paid comparatively well to to mm. other other countries, including other Western countries. Well, we are, uh, we are, but our our tax <laughs> is also. Oh, yeah. our, is also the highest, absolutely. Oh, yeah, one, one, of, one of the highest. Yeah. So, so maybe maybe we rate that higher. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we've got to a point where we're comfortable enough to to say, you know what, um, wages are. Uh, look, I'm just speculating here, but uh, maybe wages are reasonable enough that we're now looking for quality of uh, engagement rather than um, rather than the transactional dollar value. That, yeah. That's it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That that people yeah, so, are so maybe it's not negative. Maybe we're not bad. Maybe we're just looking for more. No, not more, better. Yeah, hmm. that is interesting. Not sure. Another question I got. 
over Instagram for leadership and resilience is, are you coming further up the coast when the borders open? <laughs> yes. Um, we might go to Townsville. All right. Is resilience more than putting one foot in front of the other a whole bunch of times? Is resilience more than putting one foot in front of the other a whole bunch of times? Oh, absolutely it is. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's absolutely more than one foot in front of the other. That's grit. That's just grit. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Resilience from a a practitioner's point of view, I think is that ability to bounce back. Mm. It's that ability to grow after bouncing back also Mm. so that you're able to better handle the next the next emergency, the next catastrophe, um, the next challenge in your life. You know, we've spoken about this before, COVID and lockdowns and all of that sort of stuff has been an opportunity to teach our our family, our children, uh, a little bit of resilience yeah. and, uh, and and courage and a bit of tenacity and, uh, and grit, but resilience. And uh, But I do think it's about being able to bounce back, being able to process what's happened to you, um, and be able to, if you were in this, a similar situation in future, be able to do it quicker and better um, and without that mm. impact on it. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. You know, I know Patrizia Swavuta, who is on episode one, um, season two, you know, she said, she says resilience, contrary to popular belief, is not robustness, redundancy, mm. or, or even even bouncing back. So she has a little bit of a different view on it. She says that it does not always equate with the recovery of a system to its initial state. Um, Oftentimes resilient systems have no baseline to return to. So once they've been, once they've been bent, they can't return to the baseline. So they reconfigure themselves continuously and fluidly to adapt to ever-changing circumstances while continuing to fulfill their purpose, like as a leader or an innovator or a parent or a husband or whatever. Um, and so I think what you're saying, you're, you're on a journey to take that next step to understand resiliency. I think she's at the point, academically, she's a PhD in it. The way she looks yeah. at it, yeah, I mean, she's a bloody genius. What, what she says is, you know, once something's, once a person has been molded through some sort of a um, crisis or through 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 something that has bent them out of shape and you know they don't necessarily go back to where they were they learn they adapt um, mm. they become hopefully they become tougher and stronger um, and I think it's that understanding of you know emotional regulation and control and knowing that you can get better. Um, and then allowing the experience to develop an aspect of your personality to so that it becomes that frame of reference. And um, and I interviewed interviewed a guy last year who who we we talked about um, uh, Bradley Cooper, and he was saying that resiliency, you know, is what you bring to the party right now. So so what he he's talking about it from a perspective of you're resilient at this point, which is how much sleep you've had what your diet's like, um, what your genetic makeup is from your, your parents from a resilient nature and how well you can you know, absorb things. And um, so it's what you bring to the party right now. And then Patrizia is saying, yeah, but 
the res- resiliency after that is also having the EQ to understand that that this too shall pass and it will make you better yeah. as long as you can as long as you can see the lessons and as long as you can see the points then it you may not you know your brain is forever changing and learning and growing and adapting and so you may go back to a point that isn't the same point you were at you might still be really really happy but you're now different an example of that i think uh from a personal perspective is uh i i myself was made redundant uh from a very senior position at a you know, Australian-based multinational company, mm. and uh, uh, that was that was the job I had always wanted. Mm. And uh, after you know, after major restructure across across the entire organisation, mm. uh, I was you know forced into a position where um, I needed to reassess what my new goals were and and find my new normal. Mm. And I guess from what you're saying there, and from Patricia's uh, uh, theory on this, that is, um, I, I didn't bounce back into a similar or same role. I adapted, became a project manager, focused on you know, my part-time military career, became a yeah. leadership coach, and uh, I'm still happy. I'm still you know, taking care of business at home and, and all of those sorts of things. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, can see, I can see merit in that. Yeah, it's interesting that we're all on a, a journey, I guess, um, with, with with as much as understanding what resiliency is and what mental toughness is, and they're not exactly the same thing. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Um, you know, I, I've, yeah, mental toughness is grit. And it's, I think it's formed from having frames of reference, from doing things hard. Um, you know, I, I talked to Nick Caldwell at the, the Mill Gym here in Perth, you know, uh, a while ago, and we, we discussed... We discussed how, you know, they make people go through some hard stuff so that when they do other things that are hard, it doesn't seem as difficult because they've been through these arduous events. And I think it's mm. the same for it's the same for special forces selection. If you're going for special forces selection, you want to be doing something in training that's pretty hard. You don't want it the first time you ever do anything hard to be on day seven of, <laughs> of special forces selection. Um, I think any form of um, uh, training like that, you know, even – even basic training at Kapuka, they're not starting you. Mm. They're not starting you with uh, that final activity right at the start to see if you break. And the same at the School of Infantry, and you know that it it progressively gets harder, and and then you through special forces selection and those sorts of things. So yeah, it's all a build. Mm. I've got a great question here that I want to throw at you. When a new team member arrives and then buys the leader presents for Christmas or birthdays. What do you say to that? How do you manage that? That's actually pretty, that's an interesting question because now we're talking about the dynamics of leadership where a new team member arrives and then starts buying, you know, the leader. Hey, here's a present. You know, that that's a tough, com- that's a conversation, isn't it? That's a, hey, listen, here we go. There's a, uh, there's a line that's crossing the line. Well, is it? I mean, it is if you're probably in uniform, but is it necessarily like leadership is uh, about place too, right? right? So maybe it's not. Maybe it's just that particular person. Maybe that person hasn't been given, you know, that that social lesson in life that 
that can that can appear to others differently. Mm. Um, it's always not sure who said it to me only the other day, but sometimes you just need to stop and and say to someone just just realize just realize how you're being perceived right now. Yeah, you know that's a really that's a really good question. But as long as the the discussions around values uh, and around you know if if one of the organisation's values is teamwork, mm. then you know how does this how is this perceived by the rest of the team, and how does this fit with teamwork? Mm. Um, you know, thank, thinking of me, but that might be wholly appropriate in I don't know if you work for Anglicare or something mm. like that. Mm. You know, some people are just caring people, and you know, probably you you may or may not know that they've just gone and given a gift to a whole bunch of people out um, out on the floor as well. Yeah, and, so it's context. You know, this is, it's context, it's place. Place. I love that theory, the, the the Stanley McChrystal theory around place. The place that you, not the physical place, but the place that the other person is coming from, the place that you're coming from. Yeah, it's pretty cool. If a brand new digger coming out of the School of Infantry rolls into uh, into two area uh, up there in Townsville and, and buys the platoon commander or platoon sergeant a gift, that might seem a little strange, but in another workplace... Maybe not so much. Yeah, and like you say, you'd probably want to get to the bottom of the personality that's that's at the other side of the gift and find out what they're like and what drives them, what motivates them, and and what they're, you know, perhaps they're a gift giver um, as part of their uh, as part of their makeup um, because those people, you know, they exist. I've got a great question. What is the relationship between vulnerability and resilience? That's interesting, isn't it? Is there is there mm. is there a, is there a relationship between vulnerability and resilience? I think it's emotional intelligence. Just being emotionally intelligent, maybe the more emotionally intelligent you are, the more vulnerable you can be and be comfortable with. And and that probably makes you resilient because you don't have ego and pride get in the way when when you're going through a tough circumstance. That that seems to be the relationship loosely in my mind. It's a good question. Feels like a question for Patricia. You could sit and think about this for days. I don't know. I think maybe does that vulnerability come back to um, mental toughness again, or mm. is that a resilience where you become more adaptive? You mm. can you could be vulnerable and still be adaptive and be able to bounce back in a new form. Mm. If you weren't vulnerable, you could still be adaptive and bounce back. I don't know. I can't think of when I've been really vulnerable, you know, other than personal things happening in my life. And even then, I think we compartmentalize things sometimes, don't we? Um, Oh, I suppose in Afghanistan a few times there was some vulnerability there around, you know, things that we saw happening to families and stuff. And you get to show your emotion to the the platoon. Um, and again, it's emotional regulation and control. It's so important for leaders to be able to emotionally control themselves and, and emotionally regulate and not just, you know, it, it's important to say, hey, this is upsetting to me, but I need to be in control. Mm. It's not It's not being void of any emotion. Mm, that's a great question. It's, it's, it's actually probably the hardest question so far. What about, what about um, you know, seeking assistance, going... Mm going to a padre, going to a counsellor, going to a, a family counsellor, um, that's being vulnerable. Mm. And doesn't, that, doesn't, that, doesn't that vulnerability exposing yourself to uh, other 
other options, other solutions, other models, other thinking models, then perhaps can improve your resilience, allows you to be more adaptable because, you know, if we're stuck in our ways and we're quite inflexible, it's that inflexibility that could potentially make us proof. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. What is the best way to deal with narcissistic leaders who prefer sycophants on their team? <laughs> oh. so let's just talk about, you no. know, the corporate world. It's it's values values based leadership that I think always wins the days. So if you if you have um if you have a values based system, so so the so the so what I'm trying to say is if the business has values and you use those values to have conversations, then that's the best way to deal with a narcissistic leader is just to say, hey, I'm not sure that fits these values um, or, mm. or to gently coax them around what those values are. I mean, if you're in, if you're in a hedge fund in New York, it's, you know, it's quite possible that, that narcissism is part of those values, you know. But if uh, if yeah. you're if you're working for a, you know a company here in Perth or in Adelaide or Sydney, you know, and and you're a cons- you know consultancy or you, you're an engineering company or something like that, then the values that drive that business, you probably want to make sure they line up to the values that you espouse. And if your leader is narcissistic, then um, yeah, I would I would approach it through those value based systems. Um, yeah, and if they keep hiring sycophants on their team, there's not much you can do about that, but yeah, move on. You know, leadership drives culture, which drives performance, right? So I've heard um, that somewhere before. Yeah, I'm not sure where. I reckon it was here. Um, uh, narcissism. Uh, the, the, narciss- the narcissistic leader um, develops the culture around him him or her that protects him or her and their values. Right. And, yeah, so so he or she is obviously going to recruit and promote, and when I say promote, I mean, you know, lift up, support uh, the sycophants. Mm. The sycophants are the co-conspirator. They're the co-conspirator to that that culture. Mm. And I think, and I would argue that, Sure, there might be some organisations, and you know, maybe back in the eighties, the whole greed is good thing mm. to, to, you know, track back to your Wall Street type thing. Mm. That there may have been organisations that had a narcissistic values based culture around it, mm. but I'm sure that narcissism is a is a tendency in leaders uh, in in nearly every organisation. But I think that's sycophantic co-conspirator support. Uh, is a form of corruption of values. Yeah, right. Um, that makes sense. You know, it is, yeah, I think it's a corruption. Mm. Because you can get a narcissistic leader in any organisation that professes to have, you know, team based team based values and and customer first and all of those sorts of things. This is how this is how our organisation is, and then they recruit a narcissistic leader for whatever reason, based on IQ or however it is. And then there's this form of corruption because their area in the organisation starts to change. Mm. You know, there's values that change around that narcissistic leader yeah. and the sycophants reinforce that. It's a co-conspirator. It's a mutual, yeah. it's a mutual thing. And to break... They support each other. 
to break that up over time is just is purely um, you just need to be flagging flagging it using the values back against them if they don't sit within the values and at some point if you if you can't if you can't win then you're just gonna have to if your values don't align with the values that they are creating in that culture then you have to leave. I mean, sometimes yeah, there's no easy. Off. Sometimes you just can't fix this stuff. <laughs> or, or it's a narcissistic leader that you have to say. Yeah, you know, that leader could be below you as well, right? And you've identified you've identified this, and it's damaging your culture. And if you can't performance manage their uh, them and their character out of that, then they're not a fit for the organisation. It's something that you didn't pick up during the recruiting process. That happens. Mm. Um, you know, you're not infallible. Would you rather? This is a question from me. I'd like to get your points on this. Would you rather be in a business that treats people like a family or like a high-performing team? What would you rather? Me personally, mm. for, for me, the type of leader I am, it's around performance. I get huge amounts of energy out of a high-performing team. Mm. So when a team is coming, I generate energy, personal energy out of that. I like to reinforce that with that, you know, those strong relationships. Uh, that are built around trust. Mm. But certainly there's a benefit also to having a high-performing team. Yeah. And the, the outcomes and the energy that comes from around that. You know, a lot of people want to belong to a high-performing team and I've spoken to many people recently who actually don't want that. They don't want their leader in their personal lives and, and really understanding everything about them. They don't want to know everything about their leader or, you know, who their wife is you know, who the kids are and those sorts of things. They just want to get the work done and get it done really, really well and yeah. celebrate that win at the end. Me, it's a high-performing team. I understand why people say they want a team that feels like a family. Yeah. And different organisations to do better in those two models. Yeah, right. I, I'm, I, I actually agree with you. I don't see too many businesses that should be acting like family businesses. And the reason I say that is it's, it's really difficult to have constructive, honest feedback to someone who you're treating like a family member in like a family business, you know. So when they start not performing, you know, it's really difficult to have that to have that conversation and then let them go. Whereas and I'll give you an example, like Red Bull, for instance. Red Bull racing team. It's not a family business, it's a high performing business. So if you can't use a rattle gun and change you know, a tire one point three seconds or whatever it is, you know, then then guess what? You're out the door. But if you can do that, then you reap the rewards. And so yeah. these and so some of these businesses like, oh, we're like a family, you know, business and this person's been here for twenty five years or thirty years and now that person's like resting on their laurels and not not doing not doing the work, not doing the things, not you know, and and it's yeah. very difficult then to have that conversation to let them go. And also it creates rifts within the business when someone does go that's been there for so long. Other people come mm. up in defense and, and the like and say, no, you can't do that because of such and such. They've been here forever. Um, it's like tenure. Mm. It's like tenure is a defense for bad work. Um, I, yeah. I, I actually think if you – definitely if you have shareholders, then you're a high-performing team. You know, our business is – is probably a little bit different because it's a it's a it's a relationship based business between us. But we have tough conversations about stuff, standards and things, um, mm. across the associate consultants. And I would I would let people go who work with us who who don't come up to the standard. We've got to practice what we preach, right? 
It's funny though. If yep. you and if you're a, if you're a cafe, a family owned cafe, then you're a family business. You know, then you can then you can be that. Yeah. You know, but if yeah. but if you're yeah. a, if you're a McDonald's, you know, then and I mean they have one of the greatest greatest management training systems in the world. You know, leadership and management training systems for their for their branch managers and and um and the like. Then if you don't come if you don't come up to the standard, then they then they say goodbye. Uh, yeah, it's a good. Yeah, it's an interesting. I could probably do a whole podcast on that. Are you a family business yeah. or are you a high performing team? Um, and the characteristics would, of each. I think you get very different answers by asking people: Do you want to, like you said, do you want to be in a high performing team or in a family? Yeah. And different people will want to be in different, uh, different types of teams. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, I thought next week we might start talking about leaders. And in particular, leaders in history based on a set of metrics that we've sort of come up with to give them an overall score of their leadership. Thanks for listening to the Warrior You podcast. Did you know that our parent company, Hindsight, offers leadership and resilience training as well as workshops? If you would like to know more, please head to www.hindsightleadership.com. If you would like to become a supporter of the podcast, there's a donation tab at the bottom of the main podcast page. All contributions are greatly appreciated and help to keep the show on the road. If you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, you can find all the information through the podcast website page. Just click on the training tab. All this information and more can be found at www.podcast.warriorau.com.au. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,